What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 37 of the Joe Ciccarelli Show. Today's chat is a cool one. I'm, I'm really excited to, to release this one. This is a conversation with a, a good friend and a really big mentor of mine, Stephen Clough. Stephen and I, I would say we grew up together, but he really grew up with my older sister and was someone I always looked up to at a young age. Uh, initially because when I came into high school as a freshman, he was a senior and the captain of the soccer team. I was a big soccer player, kind of took me under his took me under his wing and all those sorts of things. And um, as we got older, we kind of remained in touch. I uh, He moved, went to school out west in Seattle. I moved, I've lived all over the country and all over the world at this stage. But at one point, um, I took a job that was moving me overseas to Dubai. And prior to that, I moved up to Seattle for six weeks. So my uh, sister reconnected, Steve and I. And uh, God, what a great six weeks. I really, we, we kind of reconnected on so many different levels. And, you know, this guy that I admired as a soccer player in high school became someone I admired as just, you know, uh, a mentor in life, both in business and in life. And it's funny, um, after going to Dubai and coming back, I was living in kind of Northern California, the San Francisco area. So I'd often, I wouldn't say often, but every couple of months, my, co- my company at the time was based in Seattle. So I'd make trips up there and uh, we'd always just kind of hang out. It was funny. Like I made the joke and it's true. Like we, we, we only needed it kind of one day together because we would just absolutely pack it in and go in and just talk about every single thing. And I question him on this and question him on that. And um, we, we didn't necessarily always agree on stuff, but there was, it was like every time I had a conversation with him, every time I talked with him. It's just like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Uh, I mean, you walk into his apartment and he's got a wall full of books. I got like my, my bookshelf over here. That's like kind of, I I've, I'm emulating what he's doing on a much smaller scale. I'll get there someday, Steve. Uh, but I guess now we talk about now all our books are on audible and all that stuff. So everything's gone digital, but, um, yeah, really someone I've looked up to. And so we, we have all these great conversations and it's advice on business, but also like advice on life and how to, how to approach life and how he approaches life. And again, it's not that I agree with everything, but it's like you never walk out of a conversation with him without, without making you think about stuff and think about stuff differently. And um, that's what you want in a, in a mentor and a friend and people you want in your life. I was uh, recently looking at um, a different job option. I called a bunch of people for advice, way too many people. Uh, but anyway, when I called Steve, like we chatted for like five minutes. And after that call, I was like, okay, makes sense. I know what I need to do. So he's just, he's that type of person. Um, he's got to figure it out. Uh, so I was happy to get him on here. He's a busy guy. He's got his own business out in Seattle. He does a lot of different things. We talk about that. Uh, and we talk about a lot of different stuff. It was funny before I've gotten in a better habit now of going through all these podcasts before I release them and kind of checking to make sure the audio is good, which to give you the heads up, the first part of this audio sucks. It was like a really bad storm storm here in Tampa on the day that we recorded. So we cut out a couple times. So my audio is not great starting out, but it'll pick up as we go. So just kind of bear with me on that. And as I'm listening through this, it's like, okay, I, you know, it's like early in the morning here and I'm, I'm setting aside an hour to get this podcast ready to go. And it's like, I can't turn the the damn thing off. Like, you know, normally I jump around and say, all right, let me listen to this part, this part, and this part, make sure it's good, get a couple nuggets, and I can't turn the thing off. So uh, there's really good information from here. I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Uh, I'm glad I got to record one of our many conversations, and uh, I look forward to your feedback. Steven, thank you for joining the Joe Ciccarelli Show, man. It's, uh, we have a lot of great conversations, so I'm glad to finally get one uh, live and recorded here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited too. Um, can you give a flyover, really, of uh, a little bit about your background and 
what you're doing now and just for people that don't know you, I think that might be really useful. Yeah. So I'll give you the short version. <laughs> um, my, my background is in, I've got a degree in psychology where I focused in cognitive and behavioral psychology. Um, and then I also got my business degree and, um, Today, I run a consulting firm, AVO, which our focus is in behavioral economics, which is kind of a blend of those two fields. It's really the, um, the decision sciences. And so our focus is really in consumer behavior and user behavior. So we do a lot of work with um, executive teams on business strategy, um, solution development. And then we also do a lot of work with marketing teams uh, helping them better understand their audiences, better position their products into market, um, and things like that. So, cool. And how did you? And for those of you guys that are listening, um, as I mentioned in the intro, Stephen and I know each other. We, I, I guess, kind of grew up together. Uh, you were kind of a mentor of mine as I as I grew up um, from the soccer field and in life, and we've always kind of been able to stay in touch, which has been really cool. And, um, I mean, you got a really cool business, man. I mean, I've always been so impressed. I've always loved my trips to Seattle to go there and see what you're doing. It's like you have this sleek office in downtown Seattle and then, um, you know, a cool pad where you have like your loft. It's just, it feels like you're like the picturesque, like, you know, urban business consulting firm. Um, (laughs) how did you get there? I mean, can you give us kind of what that looked like from graduating college to being in the position you're in now? Yeah. I mean, in, in college and just after college, I was doing some work for a research scientist at UW um, and then pretty quickly got into the marketing agency space, uh, bounced around between a couple big agencies early in my career. Um, at some point, I kind of identified that I wanted to start my own agency. I had the opportunity to go work for a small shop in Seattle where I helped build out their media and marketing services department um, and had the opportunity more so to work under um, a really amazing owner and mentor who was supportive of me wanting to start my own company someday and really helped teach me the ropes. So um, super fortunate from that regard. And just got to a point where it was the right opportunity to leave. I had some opportunities line up from a consulting standpoint. Um, so, you know, starting the company, I was just really incredibly fortunate. And I think that's a recurring thread here is that I've just been really fortunate with some of the stuff. Um, but the other piece of it is it's just a lot of work. It's a lot of hard work. It's a lot of late nights early on. And even today it's, you know, your the buck stops with you. So, um, so yeah, it's it's putting in the time. There's no real shortcut to it. At least not one that I found. Were Were you uh, nervous? In, I mean, nervous is really a light word. I mean, when you kind of first went off on your own, was that was that like scary to to do that? It's one of the best pieces of advice that I got early on um, was to wait as long as possible to do it. Mm, I, I remember and, you told me that. 
Yeah. And, and whenever somebody comes to me with, you know, I want to start this business, I will beat them up over it and give them 10,000 reasons why I think it's a horrible idea. And I've seen enough <laughs> businesses come and go that I can tell you why a lot of these companies are going to fail. Um, and I, I'll tell people at the end of the conversation, like if your confidence is shook at all, by me telling you all these things, then you're not ready to do this. If I can give you 10,000 reasons why it's going to fail and you say, okay, but I need to do this, um, then maybe you'll have a chance at it. So, um, you know, I think in hindsight, I feel like I was young to get into the type of business that I started. Um, but it was probably... From my end, I was probably also, you know, young and naive enough that I was able to make it work. So there's a delicate balance between experience and kind of naive courage, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think, I mean, be, uh, outside of naive courage, what, what was the difference that kind of allowed you to succeed versus why you feel like a lot of others wouldn't? Um, I think that I am a very hard worker. I know that I'm a hard worker, um, from, from early in my career and even in, in college anyways, I don't think I was very academically motivated before college in college. I got a lot more into school, but, um, yeah, I, I don't. Again, I don't think that there's a secret sauce to it. I don't think that you, I, I would take anybody who would work hard versus some guy who thinks he's the smartest guy in the room 10 times out of 10. Um, I, I think more often than not, it's really just, are you willing to put in the time? I used to keep this note at my desk that says, um, something to the effect of 98% of startups fail within the first two years or whatever that stat is. And I would say, are you working hard enough to be in the top 2%? Like, are you outworn 98% of the people out there? Um, this is something that I've actually personally struggled with. Uh, and so I've, I've always been a hard worker. That's not really been a thing. But then I kind of got to a point where it's like, you know, I've read... I've read The Secret. I've read a uh, 500-page encyclopedia called Reality Transurfing, which is like an esoteric esoteric approach to attaining um, the life you want. If you, have you heard of Reality Transurfing before? Yeah. I, I mean, I've heard it from you. I, I've heard a little bit about it. Yeah. And so it's basically like, and you're familiar with The Secret, which is effectively visualization. It's power of positive thinking. And... Um, now, what reality transferring brings is, is that component of taking action. So you think, you develop what you want, you visualize it, you feel it, you put yourself in that environment mentally, and then you take action towards that. And what I liked about that is the action piece. But what I always found is like this ongoing question of, do you really need to work that hard to be successful? And um, I mean- Yes. Yeah. I, and so I just finished reading- Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've read Atomic Habits. Um, yep. James Clear. Yeah. And that kind of changed my thought on all this stuff because it was like Atomic Habits is like, if you don't have habits, you're consistently doing the small things, then 
you're people think that, and I, I, I kind of felt this way. I used to beat myself up because I'm like, I'm working too hard. I'm too hard on myself. And I look at someone like you and there were times where I'd be like, God, he just works so hard. I go up there on a Sunday to hang out with you and you'd be working most of the morning. And I'm like, is that really what you need to do? Um, it kind of is though, isn't it? Well, here, here's the thing. And I, you and I have had this conversation before. Success is not a singularly defined thing. You know, what, what success looks like for me and what I want is not necessarily what success is going to look like for you. Um, I think there's this Instagram life of like, okay, I want a mansion and these cars and, you know, have all this passive income. I mean, I don't, maybe some of these guys, maybe it's as easy as they claim it is, but um, I don't think it is. I don't, I think a lot of these guys work really hard. I mean, I know I I have a few peers who, and I hate this phrase, but they're in the influencer space. I'll say, um, they do travel blogging. They do, um, one of them's a photographer and they work hard. It gets not as easy as it looks. It's not just, you know, posting pretty pictures on Instagram. These guys set up pretty big time photo shoots on sets. It's, I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. It's, I I just, I haven't, there's a lot of things out there that will tell you it's easy. And I just, I have not in reality seen that to be true for people who, at least in my opinion, I would define as successful. Yeah. And something that else that I think that I've started to think about more too is like, Maybe somewhere along the line, me or a lot of other people have gotten in like hard work in like miserable in like misery like combined um in your mind. Cause it's like, all right, when you play sports growing up, like you have to work hard and like it sucks when you're doing sprints and you can't breathe and you can't stand. Um so that's miserable in a way, but it's hard work. Uh but then when you look at like you know, for me now, I'm really focused on building like a coaching business and all this stuff. And it's like, now that I've really started to define what my niche is that I enjoy, it's like, wow, this actually is kind of enjoyable. I mean, and do you find that you like, uh, yeah, how do you feel about like hard work and enjoyment? And like, how does that fit together in your realm of opinions and thoughts? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely parts of my job that I would rather not do. And as we scale, I, I try to get rid of some of those parts. It's either that they're, I've done them a thousand times and they're just monotonous for me. Um, but I, I mean, I enjoy what I do. I love the people I work with. It's, you know, I, I struggle when you say things like he's working on a Sunday. I, I don't always know that I'm the best example of how people should be. Um, but I mean, I, I really love working. I get a lot of fulfillment out of working hard. Um, so it's, it's one of those things where, you know, at times I would rather not be as bound to it, but I also know that if I wasn't doing it, I wouldn't feel fulfilled in the same way. Um, so I, you know, I, I think the whole why piece of this, why are you doing it? What's the bigger picture? again, going back to defining success, you know, what fulfills you? Um, I think if you, if you have a really strong sense of 
why you're doing something and also just accepting it. You know, like I said, I, there were times when I would get frustrated because I was working on a weekend and then it's like, you know, you're making a choice to do this. <laughs> like you don't have to do this. Um, and kind of acknowledging that like, okay, if I, if I didn't do this, I wouldn't be getting the same satisfaction out of things. So, um, but I, I think I want to circle back to something you said earlier about hard work. Um, and mm -hmm. I'll make a book recommendation here, which I think I've given you before, but there's a book. I, I literally reread it every January it's called deep work um, by Cal Newport. Cal Newport. Um, yeah. You know, just <laughs> there's a big difference between working a lot and working hard and working on the right things. Um, and I do think that there's a little bit of, of a trap people get themselves into where they conflate these two things and they will work a lot, but aren't necessarily working in the right direction or working on the right things or working on the highest impact things. Um, or they're just focused on little tasks because for whatever reason, they're not able to or unwilling to take the big leaps. Um, so I, I think that's another big component of it is understanding you know, the work, what is the work you're doing and how is it moving you towards a goal? Yeah. So one of the things that resonated me with me in, I, 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 I um, listened to an interview on Cal Newport. I, I am going to read that book. I just finally got into audible and God, it's, it's, it's changed my life, man, because it's hard it's awesome. for me to find time to sit and read a book, but I walk a lot and I get mm -hmm. up in the morning and I walk and I can get an, it's, it, yeah. Anyway, if you're want to read and you want to be into self-development and you're struggling to find time to read, do audible. Um, so I will listen to that. Absolutely. But, uh, one of the things that really resonated me with, um, atomic habits was the difference between motion and action. And that's really changed the way I approach things. Cause it's like, I am the most, there is no one better in the United States, maybe in the world at motion than me. I can plan the hell <laughs> out of, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And before I do this, I'm going to do that. And, and, and at some point, just like you said, it's, it's action. So how do you approach that personally? Like how do you cut through the bullshit and determine the deep work or the action um, versus when you're just creating work to, for excuses sake, or how did you, when maybe you struggle with that? Yeah, I mean, it's it's absolutely something I struggle with and work on and continue to continue to work on. Um, I think for me, I I have a hard time sitting down to do something if I can't kind of finish it or get it to a end state. Um, I'm not one of those people who can, you know, write a little bit and then go do something else and then come back and pick up right where I left off. I just I know that about myself. I have a hard time with that. So for me, I kind of need to break down bigger tasks into smaller tasks. Um, but I think part of the puzzle of all of this is there's no, there's no one size fits all solution. I think all these books and toolkits um, like Atomic Habits and, you know, there's a million of these kind of get shit done type of um, type of models you know, they're all great for different people. I think it's a big part of the trick here is mastering or understanding what works for you and the way that you operate, what's going to help you um, best organize yourself, your thoughts to help you um, be productive. 
And how have you done that personally? Um, I completely agree with that. How have you gone about mastering yourself um, or optimizing yourself? Maybe is a better way of asking that. Yeah, I'll tell you what works for me. And again, this won't work for anybody, for everybody. But, um, I, you know, I, I've tried a lot of these apps and we have project management software that we use for work. And I always end up doing the same thing. I just I have a printout and I need to like I go through it every Monday on one side of the page. I've got all my projects at a high level on the right side of the page. I just list out, here's what I'm going to focus on this week. Like, here are the deliverables I need to get through this week. I fold the paper in half. I keep the this week list in front of me. And then I've got a notebook. And every morning at the start of the day, I kind of write out um, what my specific things I'm going to get through that day. Um, the other thing that I've done that's been really helpful, and this is sort of something I took out of deep work and kind of put my own version of this, but my day can get derailed very quickly once I start getting into emails and stuff. So if I have mm -hmm. 10 things to do the second I open my inbox and like lots of days, my day will start open. And then by nine o'clock, it's filled with meetings. Um, so if I have something that I absolutely need to get done, what I'll do is I'll, I'll just try to schedule one thing a day. And it's like a 30 minute to a two hour task. And I will not touch anything else until I get through that one thing. Because then it's like, if my whole rest of my day goes out the window, at least I've accomplished one thing and I've made progress on one thing. So, um, you know, again, these are just things that work for me. If other people find them useful and awesome, I can't promise they're going to work for everybody. But yeah, it is. It is trial and error, isn't it? Um, I mean, do I you think it's persistence and... too. I know you and I have talked about the idea of motivation versus discipline. I mean, sometimes yeah, you just literally have to sit down and just do it. <laughs> like just put your phone in a closet somewhere, turn off whatever needs to be turned off. And if you get distracted, just keep sitting there. Like sometimes you just literally have to just do it. There's no, there's no trick. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's something that, um, like, how do you develop that ability? And, and there's no answer to this, right? But at some point, you can read every goddamn. Is. I think it's practice. I think this is the whole thing. It's people read all, all these books and these things to try to find some motivation. Like they want some way that says, okay, if I just master this technique, I'm going to be motivated, or this is going to help me want to do this. But that's it's just not that's just not going to happen. Those things can help you get organized, but they're not going to motivate you. So if you're waiting to be motivated to do something and you say, okay, like I've got all my notes together. Now I can finally start. You're just never going to start. It's at some point you just have to make a mental decision that I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to sit down and do this, whether it's I'm going to sit down and do this for a half hour a day or I'm going to sit down and do this, you know, four hours on a weekend, whatever you're trying to get through. Um, and it's just practice. Honestly, it's, it does get easier. The more you the more you focus on discipline, it, it, it is a muscle in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and you know, that's interesting because it actually is a muscle. I mean, from a, uh, 
neuroscience standpoint, I mean, there's certain parts of our brain that are responsible for focus and awareness. And I, I talk a lot about this in my coaching and what I call active meditation. Um, but it's the idea that like motion can create emotion too. Uh, and I was always struggling with that. It's like, Hey, I'm not motivated. So I can't, whatever. I'm not feeling like I can write right now. or I'm not feeling that I can create a video, but then you just start. And somewhere along the lines, you create a video and all of a sudden you're the most motivated person in the whole, like you feel great. So there is a sense of that. Do you find for you personally, do you, um, do you use like consistent routines to like, and I know you mentioned you do your thing on Monday morning, flipping the paper, but do you find that like, all right, if I get up and I can do this and I do this and I do this and I do this at this point in the day, I've done X and now my day just starts to roll. Um, or is it just kind of day by day for you? It's a little bit day by day for me. Uh, it's, it's honestly just the nature of my work. Um, at the, we do consulting work, but at the end of the day, I'm in a client service business. So it's, it can be unpredictable as far as what I'm going to need to do in a certain day. So, um, again, everybody's job is going to be different in that sense for me. Um, I wish I could have a little bit more routine, but I kind of learned to work, work around that. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of do what you can. Yeah, um, I'll try to protect my mornings usually. Like well, if I'm working out and doing stuff like that, because if I don't get through that stuff in the morning, it's hard to make time for it later a lot of days. Yeah. And with something and actually that reminded me of what I wanted to go back to, like you were talking earlier about like, for, like, you know, fulfillment. And for me, it's kind of been interesting to start to really assess on like what fulfillment looks like in fulfilling. And when I talk about like, we could talk long-term fulfillment and that's great. And what's your why? And I, I, I do want to talk with you a little bit about that, but even short-term on a daily basis, there's a difference. And we all know this between feeling right and like feeling like, oh, um, and for me, it was always like, if I feel like, oh, I'm not working hard enough, I need to be working harder. So it's like, oh, I need to work with, but then sometimes it's like, it might just be enjoying time with my wife, or it might just be, mm -hmm. I didn't exercise or I'm eating the wrong thing. And so it's really like a piece of, and I guess that comes back to values in a lot of ways. Um, how do you kind of approach, it's almost like what item on the menu do I need to do to make me feel fulfilled right now? Is that kind of how you look at it or do you look at it a little differently? Um, I think part of it's just getting to know yourself. You know, it's, it's a balance between knowing when to trust your gut and when to trust your brain that says to go against what you're kind of emotionally feeling in a given moment. Um, I, I think it's just, a, I think that's just one of those things in life that as you get older, become more introspective, hopefully, you know, learn more about yourself, become more attuned with your body to be able to say, okay, am I irritated or do I just need to eat something? This might, you know, what's <laughs> happening literally is your blood sugar is too low. Like if you want to get into more physiology, but from an emotional regulation standpoint, we don't necessarily process that always. Um, but lots of times that's what it is. It's more physiology than emotion. So. Yeah, it's true. That's true. Um, and then from a more long-term fulfillment standpoint, have you kind of taken the time and I'm sure you have, but how have you approached like, you know, your why a everything comes back to why. And I still, I'm getting it more now. But I still kind of feel like this whole like what's your why thing feels kind of like bullshit. Um, I'm not sure. What? How have you? What do you think about that? 
I think it can be a trap. I, I agree with you a little bit in that, you know, I, I get in the trap of, I, I'm a big thinker. I want to have a big impact on the world. I want to change the world. And one of the difficult things about that is to a degree, um, you know, maybe that's something you can only know in hindsight. <laughs> so you're kind of working in good faith that you're achieving something. And, you know, at the end of all this, if I fail to reach that why, I'll say, okay, I should have just worked a lot less and spent more time hanging out with my family and friends. Um, so I, I think I think being values aligned is maybe more important to a degree than having this big why. Like, I think having a why is good, but I think it should be values aligned around, you know, it's important to me to help other people. It's important to me to work hard. Um, it's important to me to be a supportive friend. Um, you know, those are things that I can actively make decisions on a day-to-day basis around saying, am I living these values? Um, if if the metric against which I'm measuring myself is I want to have a big impact on the world, you know, th- that's a really hard thing for me on any given day to say I'm I'm hitting that mark. And I, I think it can put a lot of unnecessary pressure and unhelpful pressure on people to think that way. Yeah. Wow. That makes so much. I mean, cause you're right. Yeah. If you can, do you, do you take the, have you taken the time to kind of write out your values? Like, I mean, it's probably easy for you to come on this podcast in a way. Cause you're like, Hey, this is aligns with me helping a friend, right. Or other things like that. I mean, how do you, what's the, te- the tactical approach to utilizing values on a daily basis for someone who's never really done that type of work before? Do you think? Yeah. I, again, I think it's very personal. Um, it might mean writing them out. I think it's, I, I mean, this is your area. You probably know better than I do on how to activate <laughs> people around living, living values. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure for some people writing them out. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have some sense internally, at least what some of them are. I think what becomes challenging, and I know this is something I struggle with, is when you get into situations where um, different different outcomes or different actions in a in a circumstance cause a conflict of different values. So, um, you know, it's going to change how they're weighted in your mind are going to change. So, yeah, I think I don't know. Writing them out is probably a good start. Yeah, yeah. Do you journal? <laughs> I have tried to journal. And I just, it's not for me. <laughs> I just, I wish I could. I, I have some friends who do it and find a lot of value in it. Um, it's the same with meditation. I, I have strained myself to become a meditator. And I think what I finally accepted is that I, I have things that are very meditative for me and very reflective for me. Like, I I mean, you know, I love playing music. I will I can sit and noodle at the piano or the guitar for hours and it's kind of my happy place. It's a little bit of a disconnect for me, but um, yeah, I journaling is not for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, man. Like Do you journal. I, Have you yeah. got into that? 
Yeah, and, and and I have on and off. Um, and sometimes, like, so what I did is I invested uh, back when I was living in Dubai. I invested in Day One, which is just an app. Um, you download it on your computer. So I had it, and so now I have. And so each day, it's not it's nothing spectacular, but each day, you, you know, that you want to journal, or each time you want to journal, you hit a little plus. So now what's cool is I have journals back from like I can go back to like 2017. And there were times where I do daily questions, and times where I'd be in a fight with my wife, and I'd need to just vent it out in my mind. So it, it's amazing to look back at that. Um, but lately, so over the last three months, basically ever since I read Atomic Habits, that was really a big life changer for me. I've got into um, more consistently meditating. And then as soon as I meditate, uh, they ca- he calls it like habit stacking. And it's true. Like y- you find a good habit and you stack another one on top of it to try and get yourself rolling. That's been helpful for me. So as soon as I come out of a meditation in the morning, I have my, my, my MacBook right there. I, I peel it up. And, I, and so what, what, I, what I did for me, which was so useful, um, and this is kind of what I wanted to ask you about. Well, kind of what, why I was kind of asking you about this is um, I, I have a list of questions, whatever. Uh, and the last one I just added, and I kind of, you refine the questions as you go. And I answer them five days a week. And on Saturdays, I do top five lessons from the week. And now for three months, I've done lessons, you know, top five lessons from the month. So it's, it, it's amazing to, you know, you read through all the shit that comes out all week and you say, hey, what's the top five things I learned? But the last question I ask myself at the end of each one is like, what can I learn about myself from all this stuff I just wrote. And it's amazing when you're told to, when you have to, you force yourself to reflect on like yourself and you actually do it. It's amazing what you can actually like start to learn about yourself. It's, it's cool. It's really cool. And that, that's works for me. I'm sure. Like you said, you find other ways of doing that. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's been helpful. Um, so we're talking a lot about like, <laughs> the way people work and the way people operate and all that sort of stuff. Um, and that's kind of what you guys do. I feel like, you know, what you do has always been an, an enigma to me and, and less because, um, less because it is and more because I just don't understand it. Um, but really, and this is layman's terms and I want you to kind of edit this, but it, to me, it's like you work with companies to help, help them do a lot of things, but really help them understand um, or one part of it that's really interesting to me is you help them understand the people that they want to work with and how they can more effectively work with them and how those people think and operate and make buying decisions. Is that is that a fair general assessment? Yeah, I think that's a fair general assessment. So then how does that work? Um, what do you need to know going into an engagement um, to be – I don't know if it's like, what do you need to know to be effective, but like, what's, what is important to understand about human behavior? Maybe for someone like me who wants to, who doesn't do what you do, but is really interested in what you do. What's, what's kind of like the, yeah. How would you answer that? Um, you know, I, I joke a lot that I think being a good consultant is like being a good therapist in the sense that it's not my job to tell my clients what to do or what to think. It's there to know what questions to ask and guide them to their own conclusions. Um, There are certainly times where we've worked with clients for a long time. I mean, there are some clients I've worked with that I have been there longer than anybody on their team and know things about the business that from a continuity standpoint that they don't. So, um, there's certainly times where we have information that's useful for them, but 
um, you know, it's, it's an unrealistic expectation from an outside consultant standpoint that I'm going to be as intimately knowledgeable of their business as they are when they're doing it, you know, 50, 60 hours a week. Um, I think two of the biggest things that you bring to the table, one is just an outside perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Sometimes it's just being honest with them about something that maybe they're not ready to be totally honest with themselves about um, whether it's, you know, this is terrible or you're approaching this all wrong. And sometimes it's hard for people to hear, but um you know, sometimes that, that's kind of the important role of an outside advisor. Um, and then I think the other thing, and this is, I think, from, you know, studying psychology or any science or social science, um, it's just a degree of objective thinking. And it's something that is deceptively difficult to do. I'm not sure there's a true mastery of it. You know, we bring all of our, a lot of biases and things to our thinking, but, um, you know, the goal ultimately is to be able to take as objective of a lens as possible and evaluate a problem, um, and eliminate as many of the confounding variables and biases that we have to be able to truly understand what's going on and not just, you know, take a surface level picture at it or take people at their word when they tell you that here's why made this decision Um, because a lot of times people may not necessarily have a firm understanding there's a lot of post-choice rationalization that people make Um, so you know their intellectualization of why they made a decision may not be reality and so from our perspective it's important to understand you know what is truly motivating people's decisions and can you give me an example of um and i'm sure there's a lot but like why, if someone says to you, hey, um, we're struggling, we feel like we're struggling in sales, we feel like we're not reaching our clients specifically, um, is that a reason why someone would hire you? Yeah, all of the above. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times the outputs from our research are things like, um, you know, market positioning. Here's how you should position the market and the product. We actually do a lot of work with sales teams around sales enablement. Like here's how you should be messaging to customers. Um, here's, you know, the top motivations or decision driving criteria. And how, how do you get a lot of that? Like, what what does data collection and research look like for you in 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 those type of um, in that type of work? It's a lot of talking to people, um, talking to customers. Um, we do work with research companies either will do first party research through them um, or there are certain data providers that do national surveys, like Mm -hmm. kind of big, big, big national surveys that um, we can pull data and cross tabulate data from. So it, it varies depending on the client need and um, kind of what we're looking for. And do you often work with companies that are like, I don't even know where to, where to begin, but I know that, you know, Hey, I have a product, you know, we want to launch a new product and we don't really know where to begin. What is like, do you help with that kind of go to market um, sort of stuff too? Yeah. Yeah. We'll work with companies that are bringing new products to market. We'll work with companies um, that are looking to, 
rebrand or um, kind of restructure a product portfolio, help them figure out how to best um, structure that brand architecture and how to bring that to market. Um, we've done work with private equity firms who have acquired a lot of companies and now they want to kind of pull the businesses together and bring a cohesive business to market. Um, so yeah, all, all of the above. Interesting. Um, what have you learned about, so th- this all really comes down and I, and I guess when you're talking about, at, you know, bringing businesses together and looking for like a cohesive thing, that's a little different, but when you're talking about data collection and research on individuals, um, product positioning, all that stuff, what have you learned about, uh, consumer behavior that's maybe mo- most people wouldn't know, um, and that you've found really interesting? Um, I think the maybe the biggest thing that's a recurring theme for me is um, the the list of motivations that we have is pretty simple. Um, as humans, as humans, yeah. Um, you know, there's one researcher. I think it's Anthony Damasio's name, but don't quote me on that. Um, he's got a model of essentially a model of motivation where he says that everything can be tied down to the emotion of fear and that everything is either us trying to alleviate fear or address fear in some way. I I don't know that I would quite simplify it to that level, but I do think that we undervalue from business standpoint and from kind of a marketing and solution development standpoint, but also from a peer-to-peer standpoint, I think we undervalue things like comfort, like how, um, you know, I think we tend to focus a lot on finance and money as a motivator for people. Um, But we tend to miss kind of the emotion of comfort and how people um, feel. I think we tend to underestimate social influences um, for people and how important those are. it, it kind of those emotional variables, I think we tend to overlook and what we tend to focus on or what businesses tend to focus on a lot is the impact of money and time on people's decision. Yeah. It kind of goes back to the age old, like buying is an emotional decision. Um, and then you logically try to support that decision, right? It is. I mean, there's literally been research on, so a lot of research that happens in the neuro space happens to people who have had accidents because, you know, you can't go in and like sever part of somebody's brain to see what happens. But um, <laughs> there's been a full body of research that's been done on people who have had damage to the part of their brain that processes emotions. And people become incapable of making even simple, simple decisions. Like you give them two options that are totally impartial and indifferent to that individual and they will be unable to make a decision. So um, as much as we want to think that we're rational in our decision-making, the reality is that a lot of, from a neurological standpoint, a lot of our decision-making comes from the emotion center of our brain. Yeah. As I've learned about that, it's amazing. My wife and I are building a house and um, we wanted to buy furniture and, uh, I'm more aware of this now because I've done some stuff on it. So we we went to our house. I don't know if you're familiar with our house, but they're very high brand, like 
furniture place. So like really, really nice stuff. And we go in there and we look at a couch and it's like, this is unbelievable. This is an our house couch. And here I am. I'm, I'm like now like self-aware and I'm watching myself as I walk out of the store, like trying to like literally do numbers in my head to try and figure out how I can make this like make sense. And it's unbelievable. Like I want to buy this couch and now I'm sitting here trying to do the math in the background versus, and then Mm -hmm. what I was able to do is um, we went into a couple other stores and the more stores we went into, the more like I was separated from that emotional, like feeling of like, I want an our house couch. And then I was able to look back and be like, I do not need to spend 13 grand on a fucking couch. (laughs) Um, and, and some people will, and maybe someday I will just not at this stage. So it was, it's so true that like everything is emotion first and we don't even realize that our minds logically work and connect the dots in the background. I mean, it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's okay. Like, I think it is what it is. I think it's good to be aware of, but I think it's also reality. So you can't out, out logic yourself sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think, so what would be a recommendation for someone who's in sales uh, or trying to develop their own content or trying to develop their own brand? How do you think about marketing product positioning um, from a more emotional standpoint? Is that a, is that a reasonable question? It's yeah, it's, it's a hard question. Yeah, I know. Um, I know. I know. It's like that. If you had the answer to that, I guess you'd be a billionaire. Right? I mean, that's, that's the question. right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the answer is easy. I think applying it is the hard part. I think the, and you know, I, you talk about this. I know you posted something the other week about, um, about listening when you ask people questions, mm-hmm. like I was saying earlier, I think the, goal needs to be to understand what somebody's motivation is, even when that individual may not truly understand what their motivation is. And in a way, it almost ties back to what we were talking about earlier is the values piece. Um, What does that person value? Um, Mm. If you've got somebody in a management position and they've got, you know, family is their number one value, um, then that's important information as far as how they are going to make decisions. Um, and again, it's, it's easy to say, you know, the, the easy answer is understand what their true motivations are. Sure. Um, how you, how you do that is the more difficult part. But, you know, when you talk about um, really listening to people when they talk, I think asking questions, um, kind of atypical questions, and I also think something that we've lost, and I, I was doing some reading the other week about this with all these virtual meetings now is, you know, we tend to, or at least the, the data say that we tend to jump into meetings now. Like we go, okay, everybody's here, let's get started. And you really miss that first five minutes of a meeting where people just talk about their families or what they did that weekend. and. Um, I think sometimes we're so focused on productivity that we forget how important some of those social interactions are, not just from a human to human element, but, um, you know, if you're in sales, uh, understanding who somebody is, understanding that, uh, like, I know (laughs) some of these things feel so cliche, but, you know, people want to do business with people that they like and people that they know. and. 
that matters. It's not to say that that's the only thing and they're going to take a bath financially because they like somebody. But um, I think sometimes those things get discounted and are undervalued. Yeah, definitely. Um, That is so true. Like the social interactions and like whether it's sales or any other type of meeting, but that, that, yeah, just taking the time to kind of shoot the shit for a while makes a difference. Yeah. Uh, Like there's always an interesting, people always ask, how's it going? And sometimes I'll encourage people to ask, like, how are you? Like, it's a subtle difference, but it's, it's an important difference in understanding where somebody is kind of emotionally versus just saying like, what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. I mean, it's, yeah. And I, I just, again, my mind goes back to sales, but it's, it's very, it's, it's hard to, um, to do that sometimes. I feel like, you know, when you get a sales call with someone or you have someone give you their time, the immediate thought is like, I need to give value. I need to give value. But part of it's just, and I'm finding this more and more in sales as I get better at it, quite frankly, it's just people really value being able to talk and have someone listen. That's incredibly value, valuable to someone. I think so, so often we get on a sales call and it's like, if I don't give them the demo and I don't use their time, they're going to wonder what, and it's, it's like that fear mongering of like, oh my God, like I need to prove myself. And it's like, if you just sit back and ask someone questions and let them talk, I mean, who doesn't like being listened to? And that's a big part of what coaching is really with some direction to it. But uh, yep. yeah, yeah, it's, that's yeah, great. there's a, next time you come out here, maybe we'll, I'll take you. There's a restaurant here called Canvas, which is the, like the nicest of the nice restaurants in Seattle. And one of the things that they're famous for is you can valet your car. Um, but they don't do tags or anything. They just, they'll remember who you are. And when the valet sees you kind of getting up, they'll go get your car. Um, and there's a story. One of the guys, uh, the two sons now essentially run the company. And, um, and he was telling a story about how when he started working at the valet, when he was growing up, um, he was like, oh, you know, did they secretly write down the name or did they kind of, how do they actually cheat the system? And his dad said to him, if you remember everybody's name tonight, I'll give you a million dollars. And so, you know, he was <laughs> dialed in and, you know, so the story goes, he remembered everybody's name and he says his dad still owes him the million dollars. But um, the point of the story being is that it, I think it's important to understand your motivations. If you really care about people, and this is something that we emphasize a lot with our team. It's like, you, like it's not enough just to say, okay, I need to ask questions and not talk. Like you have to actually give a shit about people and care enough to say, okay, this is going to help them. If I stay late for 20 minutes and get this just right versus just getting it done because I'm done with it. Like it's, it's not something you can teach people. You can't teach people to care. That's got to be one of those values that people bring, but. Um, you have to really want to help people and be willing to invest the time and your own mo- emotional energy into, you know, listening and getting to know people and putting putting in the time. That's that's where I just don't think there's a shortcut. 
Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to say. That just goes back to hard work. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, man. I mean, one of the things I have this on my list of, uh, I have a little note and it's called brilliant ideas. And when ideas come to me, I want to create content or videos around them. And one of the big things is, um, and this is true, like you need to be, when you work with a client, and I'm sure you guys do this, um, and it's easier as a consultant, uh, probably less so, and it's more difficult when you're on, when you're having a lot of sales conversations, but you need to be, when you're on a sales conversation with someone, you want to become an employee of their company to that point where it's like, it's no longer about your solution. It's literally like, okay, if I work for your company and I was the CEO of your company here, you know, what do I need to know so I can help determine whether my solution is a fit. And if it's not, how can I recommend something else that that is? And that goes back. And that to me is a, um, it's a tactical approach to caring about because you're right. It is a value. I think inherently most people do care about other people. I think sometimes in sales or in business, we just think we're supposed to act different. So we, we, we do, right? Oh, this is a business thing. So I can't just treat them like I treat my cousin or my friend, but yeah, thinking it's just, I mean, everything in life's perspective, but yeah. Anyway, that's a long winded way of saying I completely agree with you. <laughs> yeah, I think people where they struggle is how to scale that. You know, how do you, it's, it's difficult to scale relationships. You know, there's not a, there's CRM systems that you can put in a lot of information, but it's not the same thing as scaling a relationship. And I think that's when you get into big sales organizations, that's when people start to struggle. Yeah. Yeah. And part of it is just hard work. And part of it is, um, yeah, I mean, you're right. It is a CRM to an extent, but, um, yeah, it's, it's a challenge. That's why probably some people are better at it than others. Um, I want to ask you one other thing, and this is kind of selfish. Um, so we talked a lot about, about, uh, or not a lot, but we were talking about kind of that age old question. That's easy to answer. Like, how do you get people to buy, or uh, sorry, how do you understand people from an emotional standpoint so you can position yourself in that standpoint, right? And your answer was, in a way, get to know them, care about them, understand them and all that sort of stuff. Um, easier said than done. Um, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. So when you're starting out and you're not sure of that, right? So for me, it's, um, I think part of it is I am sure because um, I'm starting to develop my niche, uh, niche, niche, whatever the hell it's called in sales, in sales coaching and sales content development. How do you, how to, without just going out and doing a bunch of surveys, how do you do that? How do you understand people without, it, it, one of the things, and one of the things I, I read is like, hey, the first thing is like, think about your ideal client and write about them and that's who you are. Um, but what, what if you don't, you haven't had that ideal client yet? You're trying to develop them. What's your thoughts on that? I think it's really hard to start a business if you don't already have a sense of who you're trying to help. You know, there's, there's certain founder stories about I was trying to solve this problem for myself. And so I realized that I needed to make this business. Um, you know, it can be a trap. That sample size of one can be a trap. But right, right. I think it can be, I'm not saying it can't be done or people haven't done it. But I think in general, if you don't already have an understanding of the problem you're trying to solve, you don't really have a business. 
Yeah. Um, so from and, a coaching perspective, you know, if you, <laughs> you know, who you're like, what problem you're trying to solve and for whom, um, you know, then you can create a solution to solve it. But if you don't understand that to begin with, um, you probably need to keep searching. And the sample size for one is a flawed thing, isn't it? I mean, the idea that, hey, uh, I'm my ideal client. So what would I want to buy? I mean, do you find that a lot of people like to your point do that? And it's just, it can work, but it's not really. Yeah, it's a bit of a trap because the more familiar you are with something, your criteria change in how you make decisions. Um, you tend to be much more of a maximizer with decision making. And so you can start to assume that, you know, everybody that's like me or that does this makes decisions in the same way that I do and miss the fact that, yeah, but you spend 40, 50, 60 hours a week focused on the specific problem. Nobody else cares about this as much as you do. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, that's true. Um, and maybe what I was getting at too, wasn't as much. So it, uh, short of hiring an organization like yours that has access to research and surveys, which I'm sure uh, a lot of people can't, is there a way, what do you recommend? Um, and maybe that was a better way of asking that last question. I mean, of course, if you don't have a clue about anything, then get the hell out of that business. But generally speaking, if you're trying to learn more, are there resources to do that that don't necessarily um, – you know, and it's not that it wouldn't be worth investing in a company like yours, but not everyone can afford that. So what are other ways to do what you guys do in a dialed down approach that maybe an individual could look into? Are there resources that you would recommend, books? My favorite thing to do is candid conversations. Um, we had a client um, earlier in my career um, who they were, they were a kind of food and beverage type company. And I was pretty young and <laughs> had a lot to learn, but I literally went to the supermarket and like lingered around the aisle that this product was in and waited for people to come. And then I was like, hey, I don't know what I'm buying. Like, what, what should I do? And I mean, people give you the most candid, <laughs> when you ask people for help like that, people will give you the most candid answers. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I think just like going and talking to people and having candid conversations, um, don't, don't approach it from a, you know, I'm thinking of starting a business perspective. Uh, again, it's kind of a relationship, um, a relationship thing of you don't want to, you don't want them to be on guard because then people are going to tell you what they think you want to hear, but just talk to people. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah conversations taking action versus uh motion right <laughs> yeah yeah and it's hard i mean i think the for a lot of people the gut instinct is to go hit the internet i mean there's lots of good forums i think reading chat forums is a good place for candid conversation um if you're not comfortable going and speaking to people yeah yeah it's but i mean you're right at the, at the end of the day people are um the key to everything. Um, well, man, I'm, I'm sure I could ask you a bunch more questions, but I've I've uh, taken up a lot of your time. Um, what are you reading right now? Uh, I'm reading a book called American Spy, 
and I feel terrible that I don't know who the, I need to look up the author's name because I should really know this. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know all the author's names of the books I read. Is it a fiction oh, there book? It or? Is. Yeah, it's fiction. Lauren Wilkinson. It's really good. Highly recommend. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm reading a few books right now. I, I've been slowly making my way through uh, Walter Isaacson's um, Da Vinci biography. It's really good. It's just a very dense read. So I tend to read it and stops and starts. Um, and then I'm reading or, an audiobook, uh, a book called The Color of Money, which is also another interesting book that would highly recommend. The Color of Money. Um, yeah, I tend man, to start a lot of books and then like slowly make my way through them. Well, that's what's so great about it. I mean, yeah, like at least for me, Audible has been like like the absolute game changer for me. I, I can't tell you. I mean, the the only downside is now I'm spending too much money on reading because it's like, you know, I have to, you get one credit a month and now I need to go buy extra credits and all this stuff. But uh, that's a good problem. Do you use Libby? No, I don't Overdrive? Use you know, so. I've heard of Overdrive. You, you'll you can thank me later go download it you just need a library card and you can essentially check out books and audiobooks from your library for free i did hear about i think maybe you told me about that years ago so it's the same thing as audible except you just rent them and it's free yeah i mean every now and then you'll have to like wait if they only have because they'll have digital copies so if other people have you know, if they've got five copies and everybody's got them checked, but you just put them in a queue, you wait till it's available. That's a good idea. Um, Cause I, you know, the, the one good thing I do like about audible is the fact that um, you get to keep the books. So like you have them forever, but to your point, it's like, all right, you, you know, for, I think when I pay like seven bucks a month or something, it's like, that, I'm happy to pay that. But then in, in between those books, instead of having to buy those extra credits, you go to like a Libby or an overdrive. All right. Yeah. That's a good idea, man. Thanks. Yeah, I mean it's fine. I I like having hard copies, even though I primarily read on my Kindle. But if I when I get books that I really like, I'll just buy the hard copy because I like you know if I want to look at them later or look something up. Yeah, it definitely helps to have the hard copy. Um, and I think you had said this to me years ago. It's nice to be able to gift it to people too when it makes sense. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> cool, man. Well, hey, thanks for uh, well, thanks for taking the time. What are you reading oh, now? Sorry, what are your um, well, I, I just, so I'm diving pretty deep into, uh, sales books. I just finished a book. I actually have a guy coming on the podcast in a few weeks. I read his book selling from the heart by Larry Levine. And then, uh, I just finished kind of in tandem, uh, a book called not a life coach. Uh, and this is by James Smith. I would recommend you're on Instagram. You should check this guy out. James Smith at James Smith PT. He's got a, um, friend of a friend when I was living in Dubai and he ended up, um, you know, when I first started following him, maybe years ago, I had like fifty thousand followers. Now he's up; he's written a couple of best-selling books. He's up to like seven, seven hundred or six, seven hundred thousand. But he's like, he's a very no-nonsense approach to like um, health and fitness. So like, he got me into like calorie counting and why that makes sense, what power calorie deficit works, why like a lot of these diets out there are just complete fads that don't make any sense. So he's like super research-based, but he just says it like an everyday type of way. And so um, I read his book. I just finished that. And then the book I just took out, let me pull it up here because I'm sure you heard of it, is uh, Mindset, which is recommended by him by Carol Dweck. Have you heard of that before? 
Yeah, is that's the one that Satya is really big on, the uh, CEO of Microsoft. I have read that, and it's a good read. So I think it's like the premise. And so I'm kind of at this stage now where it's like, for me, I'm like starting my grind. And so I think this is going to be a good book for like enjoying the grind versus uh, let me just hurry up and get to a point where I've made it in a way, you know? So, and that's kind of what he recommended is like that. So is that a fair general assessment of what one might get out of that book? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it talks a lot about growth mindset and things like that. It's, it's a good book. Yeah. Have you read uh, Thinking Fast and Thinking Slow? Oh, that's, it's literally when people start working here, that's the first thing that they get to read. <laughs> oh, cause yeah, yeah that's Daniel pretty Kahneman. big for what you, that, that's pretty big for what you guys do. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, cause it, it's literally Kahneman, how you make, yeah. Yeah. He was, he's a behavioral or a behavioral and cognitive psychologist. And he was at, he actually won the Nobel prize in economics in I think 2003. Yeah. It was a big deal for the industry. Yeah. I need I to, mean, he's kind of like the grandfather of the industry in a way. So that, that's on my list. The thing is um, mindsets, 10 hours and 23 minutes. And I think thinking fast and thinking slow is like 20 hours. I think it's like a massive book, right? It is. And I'll be honest, it might be hard to do as an audio book because <laughs> it's, it gets kind of dense in some areas, but I, I know some of my team members have done it on audiobook. Um, it, it's a good read. Yeah, I'll have to look at it. So, um, do you read yeah. any fiction anymore, or do you pretty much just do business books? You, you just took the words out of my mouth. So, I, I, I have a Kindle too, and I make a point. Uh, I'm really into like um, maybe I'll check out American Spy. So, I have Kindle Unlimited. And uh, I read fiction every night when I go to bed. And sometimes if I'm hanging out at like the beach or the pool with my wife, um, I'm really into like, um, I don't know some of the names, but like kind of like the commando badass type dudes that like go in and like, you, you know, those books where you have these like guys that were like green berets that are like work for these like crazy government organizations that go out and just like eliminate people. I don't know. It's just, it's super like, thrilling and it's all the way to me and it's just super fiction and it just gets my mind off anything that's real. Nice. Yeah. What, what's American that's Spy awesome. about? Uh, it's about this black woman who works for the FBI and kind of her experience in the, I think like in the eighties, I don't know. It, it, it goes back and forth between kind of present times and her experience um, working with the FBI and the CIA. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, I got my um, – I think I talked to you about this a while ago. I was at his phage where I was reading some really good like um, memoirs. Uh, one was Hillbilly Elegy, which I, I think you told me you read. Another one was uh, – Yeah, J.D. Vance. Yeah, J.D. Vance. That, and so my wife read that. She actually she, – she gave it to someone actually that she works with. Um, so I thought that was a really good book. And there was another one too. Um, God, uh, No Mercy? Yep. Yeah. 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 That's a good read. Yeah. There's so much hard out there, read, man. But... Yeah. 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 It is hard. It is. It, it, it's just, it's those. So maybe go looping back here to the beginning, like, Oh, we, we weren't talking about this before we started recording. We we're talking about how going through COVID so difficult for so many people. And, and fortunately for me, I haven't been impacted and kind of for you in the same sense, or at least not like monetarily. Um, and it's kind of what's so great about reading these books like Hillbilly Elegy and, and No Mercy. It really gives you an insight into other things that maybe, you know, we were pretty privileged in many ways with how we grew up. So it's, 
it's a good way to kind of see that sort of stuff or at least learn about it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Big time. I mean, that's, I think it's so cool what you've done, you know, living over in Dubai and all that, like it's, and even moving around the country. I, it's so important to experience different cultures and stuff like that. It just gives you a very different perspective on your own existence. Yeah, I mean, each moves like a new, like thought on things. I mean, it's just amazing. And there's nothing wrong with this at all. When you look back at Reading, where we're from, and it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard, right? Because some people don't leave. And um, there's a lot of advantages to that and friends and family to that. And then you, yeah, it's just, it's amazing when you do leave and you're like, wow, I left and moved to Florida or I moved to Seattle. And then you move somewhere else. And then it's like, like it's it, it's just it's a big place the world it really is it is it is <sighs> all right man well i guess at that um thanks for coming on i really appreciate it like i said i could probably ask you a bunch more questions maybe we'll do another one but uh at some point i'll have to yeah, get this to was Seattle. Fun. yeah you do hopefully we'll all be past this pandemic soon and can travel again back to back to normal whatever normal looks like yeah, I think we'll get back to normal pretty quick. I think people will have a short memory. <laughs> That's how it is. I mean, um, and not to prolong this, but it's like kind of brings me back to 9-11. And I, I was very young when it happened, but I bet at 9-11, people were like, I'll never travel again. I'll never get on a plane. And then to your point, and I'm sure things did change forever because of that. And things will change forever because of this. But at some point, you don't get on a plane and worry about, at least I don't, um, that sort of thing. So yeah, you're right. It's, it is a short memory which is a good thing in a way. Yeah, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think being traumatized by this forever wouldn't be productive. No, I agree. I agree. All right, man. Well, thank you again for coming on. Thank you. This was a lot of fun.